We are in uh, our final Sunday of this sermon series we've been in for quite some weeks now, I think 12 or 13 weeks, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. We have been looking at encounters Jesus had with just ordinary people. Since Easter, we've been looking at encounters the resurrected Christ had with, um, with, uh, with re- ordinary people. And today we're going to close this uh, series with um, Jesus confronting Paul on the Damascus Road which is found in Acts, the ninth chapter. A little bit of background before we read it. Uh, Paul had been persecuting Christians. Um, He was present uh, when Stephen was martyred back in Acts 7. He witnessed uh, the incredible martyr lay down his life for a cause he truly believed in. Don't you think that uh, watching uh, somebody who was willing to die for a cause, don't you think that would have an impact uh, on a person? And even though Paul hated Christians, he thought he was being a good Pharisee by by killing them, he had to wonder things like, why would someone be so willing to die for this Jesus? Perhaps he thought, I'm not sure I'd die for any cause. It's hard to underestimate the significance of what we're going to read today in Acts 9. It's hard to underestimate the significance of the conversion of Paul, who became the great apostle, um, not only for his time, but even for the future of Christianity. It also appears as uh, Paul's testimony. His, this whole Damascus Road encounter, it's not only Acts 9, but it's retold two other times. In fact, almost the whole chapters of Acts 22 and Acts 26 are also a recap of what happened on this particular day, on this particular journey, as Paul was making his way to Damascus. It's a major turning point in the early church. But as we look at it today, I hope that we'll learn things about how God works in a person's life, how He changes people, how He intervenes in a person's life, how He leads people. Um, I've looked at chapter 9 of Acts, which is 19 verses, And I've looked at uh, what excerpts could I share rather than reading 19 verses. We're going to read 19 verses. You okay with that? I can speed read pretty good. All right? Here we go. You just have have to hear the whole story. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In other words, he wanted authority to arrest Christians. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he does use the word Lord. And he says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless. I would think so. (laughs) Hearing the voice but seeing no one. And so Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. 
He said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. (laughs) Ananias, being like you and I, Lord, I've heard about this guy. (laughs) I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority. Somehow he knew that he had letters. He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands, his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight, and he got up, was baptized, took food, and was strengthened. Needless to say, Jesus bursts into Paul's life. Paul got up that morning. He had no idea what was about to happen to him. Have you ever had a day like that? You got up in the morning, you had no idea what was going to happen to you that particular day. You had your plans. I'm sure Paul had his plans. I'm going to go to Damascus and arrest a few Christians. It's going to be great. Has Jesus ever had other plans for your life than your plans? Here's my first point. Jesus will interrupt your life. Amen, right? That is so good. I mean, that's my point, but I still think it's good. Jesus will interrupt your life. Your life. In order to understand this, we, you have to understand that Jesus is willing to bring about situations in your life to move you into the stream of His will and plan. Because that's really what He's about. He's about His plan, His will for your life, and He will bring situations, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, sometimes hurtful, sometimes painful. He will bring situations to continue to move you into the stream of His will. Sometimes they're exciting, or they can be excruciating, but they're meant to bring us to this this point of understanding who he is and what he wants for us. Paul, he's this committed Jew, and he's doing what he... What any committed Pharisee would have been doing at the time. I, I think sometimes the, the pre-conversion Paul gets a, a rap by Christians. He was just some evil monster. He was just being a good Pharisee. Good Pharisees persecuted Christians. And so he's going to be the best Pharisee he could possibly be, and he's going to persecute better than anybody. I need letters of approval. He went to the leaders. I need letters to go and get Christians and arrest them. Then on the road to Damascus, Jesus interrupts 
is life. You know what I mean. You have, um, you have everything going in a certain direction. Maybe it's your job, your career, and uh, where you live, or maybe the church you go to, or the ministry you're involved in. You've got, you've got it all lined up just the way you think it ought to be, and then Jesus shows up and says, hey, I think we're going to change things. Right? That's happened in my life more than once. In January of 1988, I was teaching high school choral music in Mustang, Oklahoma. I was 12. (laughs) Not really. I loved my job directing a high-energy high school choral program, concerts, musicals, contests, trips. One day after school, I receive a call from a pastor looking for a full-time music minister. It's what we called him back in the day, remember? Wanted to know, do you have interest? I thought, this is weird. I hadn't had a pastor call me in several years, and I just kind of, I'd kind of, I had a part-time uh, ministry uh, at, a, at a church with music, but I was into my teaching. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine God saying, "Okay, you're done with that." I loved it so much. I said, "You know, I'm so happy where I am. I, unless God appears to me in a bright light, I think I said that actually." <laughs> I just don't think it's time for me to be considering such a thing. He said, okay, well, let me know. I go to school the next day, teach my classes, come home that night. I have another phone call from a different pastor. Hey, we were just wondering. We're looking for a music minister. I wondered if you have any interest. Now I think this is really weird. I pretty much told him the same thing that I told the first guy, and yet I'm going, what a coincidence. You ever said that about God working in your life? What a coincidence. I go to school the next day. I'm I'm telling you the truth, right? You understand that. This is the truth. I go to school the next day, teach my classes, come home. What happens? Another phone call from a third pastor. Sometimes Jesus will interrupt your life. And sometimes he uses kind of strange ways of doing it. But I could not say this is a coincidence. I went in the next week. This was in January. And I went in the next week and said at the end of the school year, I'm leaving. And I took that job of the third pastor, third church. A month after I was in the ministry full-time, God spoke again into my life. And um, he said, you you thought you were going to do music. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I want you to preach. 
Which brings me to my second point. Jesus has a plan for the rest of your life. I don't care where you find yourself today. I don't care if you're the youngest person in the room, the oldest person in the room. God has a plan that he wants to engage you in for the rest of your life. And something that we need to understand, if we're going to fulfill God's call in our lives, it is that God's call is all about his plan. His plan for the world, his plan for the church, his plan, his mission. His call, and, and, uh, his call for you may have nothing to do with what you think you can do. I speak from personal experience. <laughs> I never thought I could do this. It doesn't even make sense at first. Lord, after all that I've prepared and all the track that I've been on, why now? You look at Saul's life up to this point. He spent his whole life being a good Pharisee, training, and he's, he recounts himself over in Philippians 3, 5, and 6. Look at his resume. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, proud of it. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He had trained, been educated to be this good Jew and to succeed in that path. And now Jesus is interrupting things and saying, now we're going to change. Oh, I remember the day we were in Yakima, Washington. And I remember the day when God made it clear to me what he wanted me to do. (laughs) I remember in my prayer life that morning, I said, couldn't we, had this, couldn't we have had this conversation 10 years ago? You ever been there with God? You're wanting me to do what? Do you realize how old I am? Do you realize the situation I find myself in? I'm married. i got two kids. and I guess I only had one at the time. But Was Jesus just going to throw all of that education and training and call me to do something, I felt, I can't do that. So I ask you the question, do you get so locked into your path that you just, you just barrel through and you're just so locked in that there's just no way he's going to change that i mean your car your course is so charted maybe you're a, a, one of these young people down here and you know you're going to go to school and you're going to get this degree and you're going to make this kind of money and you you got in your mind what kind of person you're going to marry and you're so locked in and god says i, I want to change things I, i'm going to gift you in such a way and i'm going to Bring opportunities in such a way you're going to need me so much in every step of your journey because I'm going to call you out of your comfort zone. I mean, 
It's so tragic because I meet people all the time who have such a passion for certain things, passion in their heart, God-given fire in their heart, and they say, but I can't do it. The logistics of my life, the family structure that I, I, I just can't do it. I need to play it safe, and I need to do the traditional thing, and I need to go the path that makes most sense. Sometimes it's even a strong spiritual calling. It just, it's too risky. And they just can't swim upstream against the cultural, sometimes family climate, the normal way of doing things. You know, there's also a theological issue that I want you to, I want to mention briefly, uh, Before, before Paul's experience on the Damascus Road, what did he think about the theology of Christianity? Huh. He saw it as a cult. It was threatening God's people, the Jewish people. He, he, believed, it whole, he believed wholeheartedly that that was the case. And, uh, but once he met Jesus, his theology changed. Amen? <laughs> his theology changed in a moment. I, there's something about a... Jesus light <laughs> interrupting your trip. It's important because if you want to know all that God has for you, you have to open up to the teaching of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth is what Jesus said. And we must always be open to how the Holy Spirit is working and how He's teaching and what He's saying to us. And uh, too many people hear something that sounds good or, uh, or they begin to follow after something and it's uh, maybe a certain teacher and they just start buying into things rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to set the theological foundation in them. dangerous. I think it's equally dangerous when people are raised in a certain path and they never really challenge it and uh, they say, this is just the theology that is right. Aren't you so glad that you got born into the right church? (laughs) All those other churches are a little bit off. We have it. You're so lucky. And yet the Holy Spirit begins to work and you begin to get a little unsettled with this. You get a little unsettled with that and you hear this and you, I just don't, I don't know. And uh, see, when the Holy Spirit is the teacher, yes, he uses preachers and teachers and books and he, he speaks through his word to us. And yes, there are different ways, but it's the Holy Spirit that moves in our heart. But you have to be open to it. Most likely, if you really want to walk in God's plan for your life, it's, it's not going to look like your plan for your life. And uh, you're probably going to have to see things differently. Jesus will remove the scales, as we saw in the passage. Ananias placed his hands on Paul. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that as it was like scales fell from his eyes. It's not just a physical 
thing that happened there. There's a spiritual illustration that God is giving us that when there is this anointing of the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Him and the Holy Spirit is given to us, there is this illumination of spiritual understanding. Paul had been blinded by his hatred for Christians. He'd been blinded by his Jewish past, his adherence to tradition. I don't know about you, but I've been blind in the past. Anybody ever been blind here spiritually? I've defended positions. I remember early in my ministry, and uh, I've defended positions or held certain beliefs then I would contend now that I would I'd be on the other side contending against those same beliefs. So are there spiritual scales, blindness in your life today? I mentioned one earlier, but so many people have the scales of tradition. We've always done it this way. Church is supposed to look like this, right? Church is supposed to look like this on a Sunday morning. Everybody's sitting nice and quiet, listening to one guy in all these rows. (laughs) And it's got to be a Sunday morning, right? Some of you say it needs to be a Sunday morning at 9, not 1030. I get that. Not only do I get that, I've heard that. Only a month. Are we influenced by tradition? The way it's always been, the way we've done things. I'm not saying tradition is necessarily bad, but when everything is decided by the measurement of tradition, it becomes a barrier to the work of Christ. Theological beliefs, they can be scales. I just not going to, I refuse to, I refuse to even listen to that person, read that author. I just, I know I don't agree with this one thing that I heard him say once, and so I'm, I'm not open to the other things that he might be able to pour into my life. And uh, some people have the scales of their past. Past experiences, past hurts, past events. And they've drawn theological conclusions. Maybe not do they outright say them, but I'm one of God's lesser because this happened. Doesn't love me as much as them because this happened. And why did God put me in this family to be raised? Because I'm just unlucky. Some people are blinded and they have scales of unforgiveness in their heart. Can, for, can unforgiveness just stop people in their spiritual tracks? Yeah. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, that may be the case, but who's your unforgiveness hurting, them or you? And it's just as those scales, it just keeps us from moving forward into the understanding of the beauty of Christ and who He is. So what are your scales? (laughs) 
Here's the good news. Jesus will change you. Amen. Jesus will change you. Jesus will drop the scales. He'll begin to open your eyes and help you see how that past hurt is hurting you, how your, your closed theological ideas are hurting you, how your adherence to tradition above everything else is hurting you. That's just going to drop and he's going to say, you get so all worked up and you're in such bondage over these things. That's not my way for you. It's not my plan for you. When the Holy Spirit came to Paul, he was forever different. He went from lead persecutor of the Christians to the leading apostle of the church. That's what God does in a person's life. He is in the business of fundamentally changing hearts, of fundamentally changing the course of your life. Believe it or not, the Holy Spirit wasn't interested in using Paul's Pharisee experience. In fact, he was interested in throwing out all of that and remaking him to the image of Christ. There's an interesting couple of verses that Jesus tells, I mean, yeah, Jesus tells to Ananias and what was he, he tells the purpose of this radical transformation, this call on Paul's life. Look what he says in verse 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Verse 16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I just got to tell you, that doesn't sound right. Do you mean to tell me that Jesus radically changes Paul, gives him a new heart, a new purpose, that he knows purposefully leads him into suffering? And this, this, this really is part of the change that Jesus works in our lives. And we just don't look at the world the same anymore. We see our life fitting into the whole mission of Christ in this great plan of His. Where do I fit in in this work of the Holy Spirit? How have you gifted me? Yeah, it's going to contend with the world and it's going to rub the world wrong sometimes and it's going to bring about even suffering sometimes. But I'm on a mission from God. And to Paul, it didn't matter much anymore. He was changed by the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ. Look what he writes later in his life in Philippians. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. I have a destiny, and it's not here. I hope you see his heart here. 
what is he living for? What had the Holy Spirit done in him? The mission that he had been engaged in. And I, how many of you read something like that and go, wow, Paul. <laughs> Paul was special. Paul had this great call of God. Glad I'm not Paul. <laughs> Are you open to the interruptions of Jesus in your life? You believe he's got a plan? You, you believe he's got great plans for the rest of your life? And no matter how old you may be, those plans fit into his grand plan for, the, for his kingdom in this world, and those plans are not dependent on others coming through or changing or treating you differently. He will resource you. What about spiritual blindness? You know... Uh, just think about it. Spiritual blindness is a hard thing to um, diagnose on yourself. Think about it, right? Blind people, spiritually blind people, really don't know what they're missing. They wouldn't necessarily call themselves spiritually blind. So are you, maybe a deeper question, are you just willing to Ask the Holy Spirit to drop any scales so that the truth of the Word and the truth of Jesus just begins to blossom and flourish in your life. And it, 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 it makes sense of the situation you're in. Oh, I'm beginning to see and understand how the application of God's Spirit into this pain or this trauma or this hurt and And I think we also have to believe in faith that God can change us. He can change a Christian persecuting Pharisee. He can change you and me. You know, I, I think a lot about the young people in this church. We have great young people in this church. You know that? We have awesome young people, children, teenagers. I, I, I believe that God is calling our young people, is, is, is stirring in their hearts right now to be world changers, to be an integral part of the force of His kingdom in this world and uh, to have a future that is different from perhaps what they think right now. And I'm challenging these young people. Are you thinking, are you open to the work of God's Spirit and His call in your life? Or have you charted kind of your course and this is what I want to do and this is what I feel I have inclinations for? And uh, believe you me, sometimes God will call you to something you never thought you would ever, ever be doing. We, we tend to, well, let me just say, don't say things like this. Don't, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. I'm not skilled. I don't think I would like to do that. Oh, Lord, remove the scales. Do not fear 
the calling because he's good. <laughs> he's always good. He's always there to resource what he calls you to do. He will bless you. He will walk with you. One of the things I've come to know in my own life is that the presence, the abiding presence of the Lord, I just cherish it so much. And I know that when I'm preaching, and God is moving in my spirit, Sometimes before I get up here, I get these butterflies in my stomach. You know what I mean? Let's go. Who am I to talk to all of these wonderful people? And when I get up here and I start preaching, he's, 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 so, he's so close. He's so real to me in a personal way. And I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part. And folks, when you're operating in the calling and the gifts that the Holy Spirit puts in your life, the fellowship of Him with your spirit, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what they mean to me. I look out here and I see all these faces that I know their stories and I know their lives. and uh, I know all of the ways in which you've brought them through some difficulties and blessings. And I look at these young people down here and I see such amazing young people who are not afraid to stand up for the cause of Christ and not afraid to talk about you and to share you and to worship you and to praise you and uh, to see young people up here musically gifted using their talents for the Lord today. And uh, Father, we are so blessed and I just pray that each and every person here is there contemplating in their own heart, in their own life, am I willing for an interruption of the Lord? Am I believing that He does have this calling and this plan for my life? It's not to retire and play for the rest of my life, but there is mission of value and purpose. And Father, this seed of faith that God can remove any blinding scales. Father, I pray for your <laughs> your continued your continued pursuit of our lives. Let's stand together.